Curiously Polar with Chris Marquardt and Mario Aguarona. Hello, welcome. This is Chris Marquardt and on the other side of the, well, no, I'm always inclined to say on the other side of the ocean, but you are not. We are connected through a landmass. Up in Tromso, Norway, we have uh, Mario Aquarone. Yes. Buongiorno. Here it is. Buongiorno, Chris. <laughs> so, Buongiorno. I must. I must uh, make a make a precision here. I'm on Tromso, and the island of Trom- it Tromso is, a, is on an island. island. Right. Okay. So there is a little stretch of water between between us. Me you cannot, and you cannot. <laughs> me and geography. But is is there a bridge going over? There is a bridge. A okay. very famous bridge. Very photo- photographed. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Okay, so so um, I can at least drive there. I don't have to take you can a ferry. Drive here. Yes. Ah, so partially, partially right, but dead wrong anyway. Um, no, geography. No, 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 I'm learning. Wrong. I'm learning. Yeah. That's why I travel so much because I can't. I can't really deal with geography. I have to experience it, and then I know it once I've been there. That's how I learn. Well, my method too. <laughs> <laughs> and and one of the reasons I travel is because I want to take pictures. I want to. Uh, experience things and then share that with others so today's episode we'll talk about ice photography and and i'm actually i'm actually very uh very grateful that you do this sort of thing because if you weren't for photography and ice photography i don't think we'd ever met exactly that's the reason why we met because we um because you guided our tour of svalbard on the norderlicht everyone who does hasn't listened to this show um, go back to earlier episodes. We have a lot mm-hmm. of about the ship and about actually from the ship. We have a few episodes. Um, before we kick this off, just a little reminder: we're still trying to uh, up our game sound wise, uh, especially on Mario's side. Uh, we want to b- make sure he sounds his best. And at this point, right now, we're still recording with the little. H1, whichever, it doesn't matter what it is technically, it is difficult to deal with the sound. And, uh, but it's, it's my hydrophone setup. It's your hydrophone setup. Uh, we, we are trying to make this as sound as good as possible. I'm trying to throw as much audio processing magic at it as I can, but it just, the, the best thing is to get a better microphone and we're looking for some help on that. Uh, it's about 160 euros that we want to uh, invest in that. So if you want to give us a little donation, help Mario sound better, then um, we have a link on the in the show notes and a link on the website at curiouslypolar.com where you can help us out and make make Mario happy. And me too, because I do all the processing and it's exactly. a lot of work. It's, it's you doing a lot of work out of so, there. <laughs> so you're making Mario happy because he doesn't have to put his uh, hydrophone setup to work here and you make me happy because the processing is going to be so much easier. Anyway, we want to talk about ice photography and uh, it's really, it, it is a d- kind of difficult to start off just from from scratch. So what I've done is I've put a, a bunch of links to photo albums on in the show notes. So you can click on those and maybe um, look along those. I'm just trying to, oh yeah, here we go. So, um, yeah. and, and I actually, I actually would like to, uh, to, to, to point out is that in my in my experience in leading people and and also my own personal experience of coming up uh, up to the uh, to the polar areas um, is that um, you uh, visually 
you are stunned by the beauty of all this ice and it's uh, overwhelming and, uh, it's overwhelming there is a lot of a lot of different shades of colors of shapes and lights and uh, and shadows and and it's it's fantastic the problem is that especially earlier on in life when i wasn't even looking at photography in a in a more knowledgeable way or i was very naive on that you take a picture and then and then when you when you develop the film <laughs> or, or when you look at it on screen he's just saying like what the heck <laughs> it doesn't look anything like what i what i saw there it's just like you can you can use them to put to sleep your family when you should <laughs> Show you slideshows like of your travels. Shows, yeah. <laughs> of exactly that. I mean, pieces of ice and other pieces of ice, and yeah. there is absolutely nothing in there. So how, I mean, how? <laughs> how do you get good pictures well, of, let, of ice? Let's start with the why first. Why does that happen? Because that's a really interesting question to ask. If you, uh, But that, that applies to any kind of travel photography. You go somewhere, you take pictures, you come home, and they are not anything like you experienced. And one of the reasons uh, that is is because when you're there and you take those photos, um, you are taking in a lot of sensory input. So let's see you stand on the shore somewhere uh, in Greenland and this is an overwhelming landscape in the ice and the snow. And um, so you have not just your visual, which by the way covers 180 degrees horizontally approximately so you see a lot more than your camera sees so you have a very wide angle view um, and then you have the, the 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 temperature the wind the sounds the smells the whatever you have a lot of sensory inputs you have the the creaking snow under your feet so you you have auditory inputs and all this together you will you will put this i, I used to call it the backpack you put it in your backpack and you you kind of save that in that backpack for whenever you look at that picture. You you dig all that out. So your experience when you were there uh, is with you whenever you look at that picture. So for you, that might be an awesome picture even. You might look at it and you have all these memories coming back to you. But the people back home, when you show them those pictures, all they have is a two-dimensional picture. They have not, none of the other sensory inputs. So your job as a photographer is to put something in those pictures that will help the other people at least get an idea of what your, experiences, uh, your experience was like. So, so you are actually trying to inspire the same yes. feelings or that, the same... That's, that's my goal personally as a photographer, yeah. that uh, if someone looks at my photos, that they, will, that they will get a sense of awe, that they will get a bit of that feeling. Um, and honestly, you cannot really reproduce those feelings. So you can only try to put something in there that will help them get a bit of that the the real actual being there you cannot replace that with a photo it just but, but it's it's also very important to tell them where it is and what it is oh or, yeah or like does it does it contribute to like a title and oh, a subtitle I mean, to the picture you can you can of course do that um and and it will it will trigger something if they already have something of that in their own backpack i mean if if you for example um, let's say someone had a, a lifelong dream of going to Spitsbergen and uh, they never did, but then you show them photos and you tell them this is Spitsbergen, they will 
most likely have a different reaction than someone who has never heard what's about Spitsbergen before. Okay. So it all it's all it's all perception is all a very it's a very complicated mixture of visual inputs, auditory inputs and how you interpret them based on what is in your backpack. So that together is photography is not an absolute thing it's a very uh, m- very big mixture of a lot of different factors and uh, but having that said i mean we also face some technical issues when going for snow photography or or ice photography um everyone who has like a point and shoot camera um, nowadays the smartphones are actually getting better but if you remember having like a dedicated smartphone, a uh, dedicated point and shoot camera, and you go out in the snow and take pictures of your kids playing out in the snow, and uh, and then look at them later, often those pictures ended up being gray as opposed to white, where you have the snow um, look more muddy than it actually was, and it doesn't convey that brightness and that uh, that feeling that you had. And that can be just a simple technical issue where the camera sees too much white and it doesn't know what to do with it. And it uh, it says it's just too much light and it, it dials down the brightness and then you end up with a gray photo. And that's, uh, that's one of those technical issues that you can easily counter if you know what to, what to do. You're talking about the white balance uh, nope, setting. That thing. is not the white no? balance. That is the oh, exposure. Okay. So the exposure. <clears throat> too much light in the photo uh, will... will Point your, will tell your camera to dial it down and then it's not wide enough. Um, and what you can do is what's called exposure compensation. You can set the camera uh, to, to expose a bit brighter than it would usually do. You know, the thing is our cameras are calibrated to normal situations. You go out in the city, um, you have regular people in front of the camera and um, going out in the snow where most of what's in front of the camera is white, is hard for the camera to handle. Very hard for the camera to handle. It's getting better nowadays, but they are still struggling with that often, more often than not. Um, that is the one thing. That is that's the exposure. And again, if you have a camera and check check the manual for what is called exposure compensation, and then you can, uh, when you have a lot of snow or or white stuff in front of the camera, you can just dial it up plus one plus two, will uh, make the snow white again. And then your photos will look nicer. The other thing, of course, that people tend to do is when they go to a landscape as as spectacular as is in the polar regions, is that they, again, I said, we see about 180 degrees with our eyes. We have a very wide field of view, but their cameras don't. Your normal lens on your camera might be, I don't know, 40, 50 maybe 60 degrees, that's already getting quite wide. But 180, that is difficult for the camera to capture. So in that case, a wide-angle lens is definitely a good idea. And if you have a camera that has the ability to switch lenses, where you can swap lenses, um, a wide-angle lens is is certainly one of the things that can help you do that. Now, you have a smartphone... And does your smartphone have a panorama function? Yes. Uh, well, mine does. I mean, I, uh... I mean, most smartphones do nowadays. So you set it to panorama, and then what you do is you you swipe the camera from left to right, and it gives you that horizontal, bigger image. So it pretty much yeah, the... it it pretty much 
stitches together a, a, a bigger, wider angle photo from, from multiple ones that it takes. And the one problem I have with a panorama is that when I am going from, uh, like, let's say, a, a brighter area to a darker area, um, then the exposure is set on the first yes. frame. Now, and then it's kept, and then, and then you get the problems with it. Now, with the now first of all, that panorama function is pretty much a kind of a, a poor man's wide-angle lens. So if you do not have a wide-angle lens, but your camera has a panorama function, then you have uh, you have that. And it doesn't have to be like a 180-degree panorama. Sometimes just adding a few degrees to that photo will already make it look much more spectacular than before. Um, but yes, you just touched on a point, and that is a general point when you shoot wide angle. Of course, the the, the scene in front of us has uh, what we call a dynamic range, so it has a very has very bright areas and very dark areas. And now imagine you have a telephoto lens, so you zoom in and you pick out a little bit. Then, of course, you're only seeing a little bit of that landscape, and you are reducing your chance of getting. Uh, very very bright and dark in the picture at the same time you're just reducing the amount of uh, stuff in the picture now the more wide angle you go that of course increases your chance to get a very bright area here and a very dark area there so that is something that uh, that is going to be an issue sometimes Um, sometimes it's already a good idea to if it doesn't work one way, like if you go from the bright to the dark, to start on the other side, sometimes you can reverse the direction of the panorama. So instead of going from left to right, you might go from the right to the left. And this way you um, will then expose things in a bit of a better way because the camera will try to do this automatically in some way. And um, again, it doesn't really know what's in front of it. So it's just trying its best. Yeah, and after all, it's it's a phone. It's not a camera. <laughs> I mean, it's not a dedicated camera. Well, to be uh, to be honest, uh, the phones are taking over. I mean, it, as I as much as I hate this, but uh, Apple is the world's biggest camera manufacturer now. They okay. they own the camera market, and uh, the big the big like DSLR producers, Canon and Nikon and Sony and so on, um, their compact camera market is gone. Like the, the the compact, dedicated point and shoot compact cameras, um, do you can still buy them, but the people don't buy them anymore because the smartphones are so much better now in many cases. So it's only, it's only the people that don't have a don't have an iPhone. <laughs> well, even but iPhone, yeah, but Android even even there, Android is a bit behind, but they are they are getting there. Um, you know, they 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 now do they they are computers. They're not just cameras, they're computers. So what they can do now is they go and inside the camera, inside that computer, they analyze the picture. They do look for what is in the picture. So you will have, I don't know, a scene with sky and green grass and people on it. That camera will know, oh, this is grass. And oh, this part is the sky. And oh, there is a person. I can, they can have face recognition. So they will know that's a person. And then they will internally, we call that computational photography. They will internally adjust the, the, the greenness of the grass and the blueness of the sky and the, the, the tones of the, the skin to look nice. And other cameras usually don't do this. So what you get is a kind of a picture that has already been slightly massaged to look nice 
And that's why that's one of the reasons why these smartphones are getting so much better than the point and shoot cameras. So, but but is there any uh, any of these uh, computer uh, programs for? Uh, is there any camera or phone that has a computer program for ice then? Well, you know, you used to have in these, in these point and shoot cameras. Sometimes you had these scene programs, like you set it to a sports thing, or you set it to candlelight dinner, or to uh, to ice and stuff. Um, and nowadays, with the smartphones, they are getting smarter, and they are at least some of them are now able to recognize, oh, this is a snow scene. I have to treat it in a specific way. So they're trying to make this as easy as possible for you uh, so you don't have to have the skills of telling the camera, do exposure compensation, do this or that. So they will they will pretty much uh, take take that out of your hand. It's not super reliable yet, but it is moving in really fast paces. So we are seeing them getting better uh, almost on a, on a yearly basis now. So... It is you. You can't set those cameras nowadays. Usually, you can't set them to. Uh, I'm shooting in snow and ice now, and the problem here is the snow and the ice is also very diverse. It's not all white. If I remember, uh, the glaciers up in uh, specifically in Svalbard, you have these glaciers, um, and if you shoot a picture of a glacier, you have different tones. It's not just white. You have like the, 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 the edge in the front where it breaks off and that might be blue ice, but then the part of the glacier uh, can have carried with it dirt and dust and maybe even volcanic ash. And so part of that glacier is blue, part of it is gray, part of it is white. So you have a very diverse range of colors and things that uh, the camera can capture. And that is different from just a picture with pure snow everywhere. So the camera, the cameras are doing a decent job, but they are they sometimes might need some nudging. And one of the nudgings is in the rain in the area of white balance, which you mentioned earlier. So white balance is what the colors are in the photo. The camera is not as good as our eyes are. If you look at what our eyes do, um, if you take a white piece of paper and you look at it, it's a white piece of paper. And then you go outside and the light is different, but it's still a white piece of paper. And in the golden hour, in the evening, when the sun is low, you look at it, and it's still a white piece of paper. Because your eyes and your brain just compensate for that automatically. But the different colors of light, the different, uh, what we call, what, what photographers would call color temperatures, are, uh, are something that our cameras struggle with. So if you, if the, your camera doesn't, compensate for it and it tries to but it sometimes can't then you would have like a picture under a shot under the light of a light bulb will be very orange and a picture that you shoot up in a polar area which has very cool light very bluish light will have a very strong bluish tint and the compensation of that that is something that uh, it's worth playing with you you can do this on most cameras you can set the camera's white balance to those different light situations. You have a you have a, a setting for light bulb. When you set it on light bulb, the the color in the picture will kind of be a bit more neutral. It won't be as orange. Or if you set it to outdoor with clouds in front of the um, or overcast with clouds in front of the sun, there's a little cloud symbol in your camera's white balance settings. 
then it will compensate for it to be not too cool. So you can um, you can juggle with that. You can play with that. And that's yeah. something that's worth trying out in your camera. That I would do this um, just to get a feeling for how does the camera kind of render those colors. And, th and this is actually telling the camera what is white. This is telling the camera... Um, your white is not as white as you think it is. You, you're pretty much yeah. helping the camera. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're nudging the camera the right direction so it doesn't throw off the colors. I had I've, a friend of mine, uh, a non-photographer friend of mine years ago called me and says, uh, my camera is broken, it can't do blue. I was like, what do you mean it can't do blue? Well, the blue looks <laughs> wrong. And he, he shot pictures of his kids in a public swimming pool. And a swimming pool, of course, as most swimming pools are, uh, the, the, the basin is painted in blue. So you have this water and it's a very blue tone from that paint in the ba on the basin. And the camera was thrown off by that. The camera tried to detect what color temperature is there. It saw a lot of blue. So it assumed it is somewhere high up in the north with an overcast sky, you know? Mm, and, yeah. and, it, and it tried to compensate for that and it switched, it turned down, it dialed down the blue because it was too blue so the blue was now in the in the picture the blue ended up being well less blue and uh, in a in turn by dialing down the blue it dialed up the warm colors so it looked like his kids looked like they were on fire because the skin tones were now all <laughs> very red uh, it was it was a really interesting effect and it kind of showed that the cameras aren't that Uh, good at detecting these things or at least sometimes they aren't so if that's an issue you have that's what you want to play with um, and I told him no go uh, go ahead and uh, turn off what's called auto white balance and turn it to a manual setting and uh, he did and from then on he was the happiest person in the world because all, all of a sudden his kids looked like his kids had again so 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 what you do is um, is actually like um, <clears throat> when you turn off the auto uh, from the white balance mm -hmm. um, I can see on uh, on my on my camera um, on my reflex uh, that um, I have I can measure uh, the white balance so say set the white balance on on that so like a piece of white thing I suppose that yeah that's, that's, that is advanced that's very advanced that's called custom white balance where you would the custom white balance. Where we, where oh. you would give it something white and tell it this is uh, this is neutral Yeah, and this is, I remember in the old days, uh, like one of the first uh, digital video recorders. Oh, yeah, you uh, have to Sony do this. Thing. Yeah. It had a, a white cap uh, yes. on the lens, and you would use the white cap uh, towards the light so that you would, uh, it would set the white balance. But then you have, uh, like, you have uh, Kelvin temperatures. And this is, is it uh, the temperature the, of the light source? It, it Not quite. Uh, so, so this is really getting advanced. So the, the, The the one the thing I told you about right now about before is just setting it to presets which are programmed into the camera and that's the little light bulb and the little sun and the little cloud um, which will already get you quite a long way but then you can do it more precisely if you want to but it's also more work and that's the um, that's the custom white balance where you have um, a white sheet of paper or photographers would use what's called a gray card, which is very neutral. And then you tell the camera, look, this is what neutral looks like. And then the camera will adjust itself. That is more precise. 
And then, yes, you can do what's called temperatures uh, or color temperature, and that is measured in Kelvin. And it does have to do with actual temperature like with a measured with a thermometer with a very very <laughs> sturdy one because um what it's called uh, the, the the temperature comes from what's called black body radiation now it's without get going into too much detail here um just imagine the sun the sun has a light at a certain color temperature so the sun burns at at its surface somewhere around 6,000 Kelvin. And that's the light that we get from the sun at around 6,000 Kelvin, which is a very white... It's like if, if you have a piece of uh, steel in the fire and you make it white, like bluish white, really, really hot, that's, that's about 6,000 Kelvin then. If you let it cool down then it turns orange and yellow and that's a lower temperature so you could just for simplification say that yes it's pretty much the temperature of the material but um what happens with the sun and this this goes back to the midnight sun we talked about in episode 16 what happens with the sun is if you're out in the ISS and you do a spacewalk and you measure the color temperature of the sun it doesn't change no matter what angle you are to the sun and it does not change because there, there is no atmosphere. There's no atmosphere between the sun uh-huh. and, the, and the ISS. Now, if you're on Earth, now if the sun comes through the, the atmosphere straight above you, it's if it's in your zenith from, from the top, then it has the shortest travel through the atmosphere, and then it you get almost a 6,000 Kelvin from the sun. But if the sun is low in the sky, it has to travel through a lot of atmosphere, and on that way the blue parts of that of that uh, spectrum are um, dissipated. They go away. So you end up with the orange light of the sun, uh, of the, of the sun reaching you and the blue stuff, uh, the blue part of the light staying up there. And that's what you see as the blue sky. So um, there is interesting, some interesting effects going on. And the more atmosphere the sun has to travel through, the, the less blue parts of that spectrum you see that's um that's pretty much the atmosphere is a filter that does that so that's why the why the temperature of the sun the the color temperature of the sun changes throughout the day so even that will have an influence on on what you want to do but 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 let's let's but try to get if, a, if we yeah if we go back to uh, to ice now there is yeah. uh, relatively i mean relatively it's easier to take pictures of ice at high latitudes so where the sun has to go through a lot of uh, a lot of atmosphere, so you will have uh, the problem of uh, the quantity of light, but also of the temperature of light or, well, the, or the color of the light that you have. Uh, it's not necessarily end. a problem. The thing is, um, the color gives us a lot of mood, right? So if just imagine yeah. you take a picture of a a Caribbean sunset, and you, it's, you're at the sea, you have palm trees, the sun is out there. And that is a photo that only works if it's nice and warm in colors. If you, if you white balance for that, if you kind of neutralize that, then it's going to be a very boring picture. It won't convey the, the mood that is there. Um, and vice versa, if you are up in the Arctic and you have this, uh, you have a Caribbean white balance, it doesn't look right. 
because ice is cold and you with a bit more blue tones in the photo you can you can actually uh, support that feeling of oh it's cold up here um so that that white balance is is an interesting tool that you have for sure um but but back to the photography in general like what do we see up there that's kind of the thing that that draws me up there because the, the photography of ice is very diverse it's amazing what you can find in in abstract shapes in interesting contrasts and not just in light but also in the colors i talked about the glaciers earlier with the like the blue fronts that have some gray parts and some white parts interspersed which are just amazing um you you have all these uh, up in svalbard we had all these different um light situations where like part of the scene was in harsh sunlight which means direct sunlight so you have very harsh shadows you have very very strong shadows and then part of the scene was covered in a cloud over a mountain and that would lead to very soft light because mm -hmm. it's pretty much like a bed sheet that you spread above something and it will just uh, diffuse the light and then you have this diffuse light on one side of the picture and the harsh light on the other and that was very amazing um it with ice you have and with with snow and ice you have uh the, obviously the the potential for beautiful reflections and reflections are in photography if i see a reflection somewhere it's it draws me to it it's something that i want to um to to see because it doubles part of the scene it kind of adds another layer of of depth to a scene if you have a reflection uh depending on where you are you might have like very good reflections and th that depends on the temperatures of course if you have uh if you are around melting temperature then you will have this layer of sometimes even a little layer of water on the ice that makes very beautiful reflections that's something that i've seen not in the arctic um but for example in siberia on lake baikal where uh we were at these temperatures you had these slabs of ice on the lake that were like almost like um beautiful ice cubes just much much bigger um Other things that you will see in ice is uh, bubbles, for example. So frozen, well, either air or maybe methane or something um, that is in there. Or other stuff that's icebound, like a plant maybe. Mm -hmm. So a fish. Or some do fish get caught in the ice? Well, maybe sometimes. Oh, yes, they yeah. do. <laughs> sometimes they do. Yeah. Um, then... Uh, of course, you can you can play with the translucency of things. Like ice is translucent, but some is not. So if you look at glacier ice, often it is it is uh, it's very opaque. And then you fish a a bit of ice out of a out of a fjord, and then once it's been washed off by the uh, salt water, it turns into this beautiful translucent or tr almost transparent blob of ice. And you can do things with that, like, for example, have the sunshine through it or uh, shoot through it and have interesting shapes um, emerge from it. We had this uh, we had this little block of ice that we fished out of a fjord. Um, we got this on, on deck of the ship to put in our whiskey in the evening, <laughs> some <Yeah>. Arctic glacier <laughs> ice. And uh, I took some photos through that ice, which um, just had parts of the ship behind it, but it made such nice shapes um, along those glaciers. Another thing that we um, encountered was 
a front of a of a little hill that had icicles hanging off of it like just oh, yes, yes. looked like daggers coming in from the top and um of course you got to be careful do not be speared by them um we didn't see any falling but uh if you shoot those from an angle upwards um it looks very very scary indeed um what are the other things that we saw in terms of ice i'm just scrolling through the pictures so if you if you haven't opened those photos yet um there might be a bit of inspiration in there in general i'm looking for shapes i'm looking for uh, shapes and sometimes i'm looking to include people in those photos as well especially where where you don't have a reference you know you, you see something and on its own it's hard to judge how big it is um especially things that you do not see every day like a glacier for example or uh like a big block of ice and you can't tell on the photo is that just is that a, a foot long or is it 20 feet long and then if you include some reference in there for example a person then all of a sudden it snaps into size people look at it and go oh wow this is bigger than i expected it to be um i like doing this like pictures that have a lot of something big on there and then a really tiny person next to it and then you uh you get this effect of whoa <laughs> you just you just don't see it first and then when you see it you you get this little shock so yeah that is of course uh that is of course one of one of the things that uh that is difficult to bring home when you have uh take a picture if you don't have a reference for the I, size I had, of the... I had this for the first time. Yeah. I had this back in 2009 when I was in the Himalayas for the first time. And we um, we were in those mountains. And you are surrounded by these 16,000 feet, 8,000 meter, uh, no, 24, 25,000 feet mountains. I mean, big, big ones. Um, and they are all around you. And you look around, but you do not see any reference. So it's really hard to tell if that boulder over there is the size of a of a car or of a house or or of something completely different. And uh, only when we we heard an avalanche go down on the opposite side of the valley, we heard an avalanche. It was really impressively loud, but we looked and we couldn't see it. <laughs> and we tried to find it. And then at one point, I saw this little plume of dust and smoke and stuff uh, coming from an, a part of that mountain and that little thing which then I realized must be huge because it made such an emo enormous amount of noise and and then when I realized that uh, that that little plume that I saw there was actually the, the avalanche then the whole scene snapped into Uh, into focus pretty much and I was like I was floored I almost had to sit down because then I realized how huge everything was and with ice the same thing I mean you are you're not surrounded by ice all the time at least not when you don't live in the Arctic so no. you you uh, you don't you do not have those references um, you, you do not have these references in your backpack you don't carry them around with you so it's hard to judge uh for the size of things. So a reference, and that reference can be, yeah, a person, of course, or um, we were lucky to see a polar bear. So uh, I have a few photos of a polar bear that is uh, sliding down a mountain. 
and I deliberately have one photo where you see it sliding down on its back and it's 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 uh, trying to get rid of the water in his fur, um, but it looks like it has a lot of fun. Um, and and you see this big stretch of white with a bit of landscape p- poking through, and then this tiny little polar bear in there, and that kind of gives you an idea how big it is there. And that is one of the ways to bring that width and size of things back um, that you see with your eyes but are hard to capture with the camera by just including references and um, and helping people and helping people's perception this way. Yeah, very much uh, a good advice there. Yeah, so the colors, again, just let's recap. You, you have a lot of diversity there. Um, it's, by the way, also helpful to to bring a telephoto lens, especially when you um, encounter wildlife and things that you can't get close to. Um, I personally am more a wide-angle person, so my go-to is wide-angle, but wide-angle is more difficult because you end up with a lot of stuff in the photo that you have to kind of deal with, so telephoto is typically easier. But in terms of exposure, um, exposure compensation is the thing to look for in your camera's manual. And... If you are shooting in snow, it's usually a good idea to compensate upwards so to, to help the camera take a picture that is not gray. And the colors are determined by the white balance, so try to find uh, a preset on your camera that works for you. But then remember, when you go back inside with uh, tungsten lights around you, to set the white balance back to auto white balance, <laughs> you don't get... Uh, the wrong colors of people's skin. Skin tones are really important if you have people in the photos. Um, yes. <laughs> reflections, shapes, contrasts, uh, things in the eyes. It is sometimes I, I'm, I try to not take too many lenses and things with me because it tends to get heavy and, and bulky. But sometimes I'm, uh, I have a little what's called a close-up lens. So it's a thing you screw up on, on the front of my lens so I can get closer to things. And that is especially helpful when I, do, uh, when I see some interesting bubbles in ice and I want to do maybe a macro shot and get closer. Maybe you have a camera that already does that, that has a macro setting. So do not only do the big wide-angle stuff, also get some details that will be... They will if you if you show pictures back home uh, trust me if it's only wide angle shots it will get boring if you intersperse details and close ups of things that will that will certainly make it more interesting to look at well well fantastic I, and and I think that uh, uh, looking at uh, at your sets of photos. Uh, it's just amazing the quantity of different ways you can photograph ice. Oh, for me, ice, uh, I've discovered this uh, several years ago um, when I was in Iceland first. And then I, yeah, I've, as we all know now, uh, fallen in love with uh, the even higher up Arctic uh, stuff and hopefully soon Antarctic stuff. But it's... It is so diverse. It is so amazing. Um, you can, oh, by the way, also play with interesting color contrast. So if you shoot ice, which is more on the blue side, because it's cool, and you have a sunset, which is more on the warm side, the golden hour, then you can combine those two, uh, those two ends of the scale, the blue and the yellow one, and have really beautiful, interesting color contrasts there. So... That is something that I will definitely, that I definitely always look out for because it makes 
makes the photos more interesting. So, yeah, that was a lot in a in a very small nutshell. So I hope yeah, that. But it's uh, <laughs> it's fantastic the amount of <laughs> the amount of knowledge you need to have to take good pictures. Well, it's it's but it's with anything, you know. We get started. Get started. Pick a uh, pick two or three things from what I said. Maybe the white balance is maybe a good starting point. Uh, play with that, and then once you are feel safer with that, uh, start playing with exposure compensation. You can practice a lot of that at home. The camera doesn't know the difference between a white sheet of paper and uh, a patch of snow. It's white, so uh, you can try practicing at home and. And be ready when you go on that big trip that you always wanted to do, that trip of a lifetime. Uh, it's always best to be prepared and not learn everything while you're on there. So um, so you can actually bring home the good photos. That's big, my biggest recommendation is play with your camera. Don't take it out just for the vacation. Take it out once a week and take a few pictures and, and practice and get this. Get the, get the operation of your camera into your muscle memory. But one of the worst things is if you go on a big vacation and the week before you go there you buy a new camera. That is a that is a that is a recipe for disaster because you will end up trying to figure out the camera instead of taking pictures. So that's very I've I've seen disappointed photographers do, doing that. So yes. uh, be be familiar <laughs> well, with what you shoot with. <laughs> in any case, uh, like yeah. Now you're listening, of course, to uh, to Arctic and Antarctic uh, themes, and uh, Arctic and Antarctic uh, areas have a lot of ice, so there is bound to be uh, something useful in this podcast uh, for anybody traveling to these areas. Because I even sure if hope you have so. wildlife, you have probably some ice somewhere in the picture, and in the period where you don't have any wildlife, then you will have the landscapes and the ice. So the ice scapes a, a very pertinent uh, the ice scapes and this is a very pertinent uh, episode i think yeah yeah thank you very much well, chris if, if, again this was just a very broad strokes like i tried to cram in everything a bit of everything um of course if you have any specific questions out there if you um if you think oh wait a minute i want to i want to know more about this or that uh, contact us curiouslypolar.com send us an email uh, let us know uh, if you have a specific questions we're happy to come up with more episodes around the topic of photography in the arctic and the antarctic i think it's 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 a topic that well I, you might have gotten the idea that I can talk a lot about this. So I'm happy to do more of this. Um, anyway, this was it. Episode 17 of Curiously Polar. And we will be back next week. And um, again, there's a little donation button. Help Mario sound better. And then, uh, and not sing. Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> not sing opera. <laughs> talk to you again in a week. Until then... Stay cool. Thank you, Chris. Stay cool.